Welcome to Intelligence Talks from the research team at Knight Frank. Intelligence Talks brings you the latest insights on property market trends and forecasts, along with expert analysis from industry leaders. I'm Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. September is coming up and many students have decided that despite the challenges of the pandemic, they'll be taking up their courses. But the question is, where will they live? In this episode, we're looking at the future of student accommodation. Could the trend of second year students moving into buy-to-let houses run by individual landlords start to fade? Will bigger groups of students end up renting together in bigger residence blocks with more flexible contract terms and arguably better run and cleaner spaces? Today, joining me to discuss this is Sarah Barmiller, Head of Insight and Consultancy at UCAS Media. And at Knight Frank, we have Matt Bowen, Head of Student Property Research, and our two joint heads of student property partners, Neil Armstrong and Marilena Sykes. So Matt, let's start with you thinking back to January and where we are now and how student application numbers are progressing. What can you tell us about how things have changed? Thanks, Anna. I think as we moved through the lockdown period and universities have come out and told students what to expect at the start of term, that the potential numbers are now looking more positive. Following the June 18 deadline, most undergraduate applicants have now chosen which of their university offers to accept. And the data from UCAS certainly shows that there are currently more applicants holding a firm offer to start a course this autumn than at the equivalent point last year. And also, importantly, that fewer applicants are accepting an offer for a deferred place. The picture certainly looks more positive than the view right across the sector was back in the middle of March. However, that said, the sentiment data that we see from the various surveys being conducted by our partners, UCAS and the British Council, show that level of uncertainty remains for a lot of applicants. For UK students, confidence in going to university has kind of remained stable across each wave of survey. However, I think less confident applicants are still considering their options and can quickly remove themselves with the click of a button. If we think about how grades will be allocated this year through moderated assessment, then that shouldn't be too surprising to us. In terms of international students, it's more complicated. There are more factors in play for them, travel, visas, as well as grades. However, with each survey that's been conducted, we do see a more positive opinion, especially from Chinese students. So Matt, can you give us some data highlights? What are the numbers saying? Okay, so in January, the data on applications for this cycle pointed towards an increase in student numbers overall, record participation from UK 18-year-olds about just under 40%, and unprecedented levels of applications from overseas students, which are up 15% year on year. And that provides an important context for this cycle, but also, I think, future cycles. Now, following the June deadline outputs, I think universities and PBSA operators should feel more confident but there are still factors that could knock this off course. Thanks Matt, interesting to hear that numbers are holding up. Neil I wonder if you might be able to just give us a sense of how operators are responding and if you're sort of managing a purpose-built student accommodation block clearly there must be a lot to deal with at this time, how are they doing? Yeah certainly, I think the first thing is is that the major operators all responded fairly positively to the pandemic, the outbreak of the pandemic Unite jumped first and suddenly said they were going to offer refunds back to the students who weren't able to continue their studies at university and needed to go home or wanted to go home. Not all students chose to leave, but the majority did. There are still operators now who have significant occupancy in their buildings, and maybe international students who weren't able to leave before the lockdown kicked in. As an example, I mean, what happened was Unite offered refunds, but then the others followed suit as well. 
and some offered immediate refunds. Some said, look, book with us for next year and you can carry over the rent to next year so it saves their cash balances rather than having to return cash to the students that year. Not all offered refunds. Some of the independent operators, so the likes of CRM and Fresh and Host, had to speak to their landlords and decide what their approach was going to be. As an example, though, Unite came out and have said that their income for the 1920 academic year was 15% lower than it had otherwise been expected. So that gives an indication of the scale of the refunds that will be made. Just on that point that you made, just given the huge operational arrangements here, I mean, do you think that that could in the future lead students to sort of favour these big organisations where they can perhaps more easily get refunds and go into better run and more hygienic places to live? I mean, do you think second year students might end up opting to go into these types of accommodation? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. I think it's at the moment, I think students are looking at the purpose-built student accommodation sector and are seeing that these properties are, on the whole, well-run, well-managed, are clean regularly, are viewed as being slightly more hygienic than renting a small terraced house, which may not be as well-maintained or as well-sanitised as the purpose-built student accommodation properties are. So that's very much the first thought that goes through probably a student's mind. I also think that a lot of them will be looking at this and saying, well, they knew probably no friends who were in shared houses, this, let's say this for this current academic year, the 1920 academic year, who weren't able to get any refunds at all because the private landlords weren't offering back refunds. They were just saying, well, it's up to you. If you don't want to live here, that's entirely up to you. But you've signed a 12-month tenancy. Whereas, obviously, if you were if looking at that and then you consider what the purpose-built student accommodation sector was doing on the whole, the students were able to get refunds. So not only is PBSA viewed as being maybe cleaner, more sanitised, there's also the option that if there was another spike and we went into another lockdown during 2020-2021, students would probably be considering the financial impact of that and the fact that they're more likely to see a refund in PBSA than in a, a house in multiple occupation. Sarah, I think this is a great place to bring you in here. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. If we take a step back, just looking longer term and particularly thinking about international students and their attitudes to taking up courses over in the UK, what do you expect to happen here? Do you think that eventually that universities can return to pre-pandemic levels of students? There's a lot going on in that space. Obviously, we've improved our post-study work visa situation for people that are studying, particularly on the masters and PhDs, and that will absolutely help us. We've seen the appetite to come and study at the UK is really high. And for those poor people working at institutions, it's really hard to predict what this year is going to look like, let alone the future. We've obviously seen other countries gaining ground on us, if you're thinking of it truly in a competitive sense. So countries like Australia and Canada have really upped their game to get more international students, but we are are still really, really one of the top choices of everybody who's globally mobile as a young person in the world. So I do think we'll we'll go back to those sorts of levels. I mean, at the moment, you've got issues with the US because they've got really high rates of COVID and that's obviously going to play into things. You've got travel restrictions, maybe in country, but you're seeing universities, you know, chartering planes to get their international applicants over and, you know, obviously working through quarantine logistics. So I think it's a really quite positive picture in in the medium term let alone the long term. And what other sort of dates are you kind of looking to? And I I presume that the level of clearing will be vital in terms of numbers, but what other things are you looking out for for the rest of the year? 
So really, I mean, A-level results day for us is literally going to be the most fascinating thing to witness because the majority of people who are thinking about changing their choices are going to do that at A-level results day. So you'll see tranches of people deferring, tranches changing, tranches also deciding to resit exams because they didn't get the results that they wanted. So fascinating. You've obviously got a slightly worrying cohort that are coming through at the moment, the current year 12, soon to go into year 13, because they will have to sit their A-levels, but they've missed huge chunks of school and haven't been near a sort of teacher for quite some time so again we're going to have to really nurture those young people to go to university next year because we don't want all of them losing kind of contact with those universities that they've been building up and of course they're not going to UCAS events and visiting so that's something that's going to be really important most universities when I talk to them are really really worried about what January 15th looks like next year so that's your normal UCAS deadline for people that are going to go to university next September so while most of them think they're going to cobble through and get through this year because actually sentiment looks positive they're increasingly more worried about what's going to be happening come January next year so that will be for us really important so you've got A-level results day August 13th you've then obviously got about a month of where people are going to be fiddling and changing their choices and it's going to be hard for universities to keep pace with that and then once that's sort of settled down it's all about January. Excellent. Thank you very much, Sarah. I just turning to deals and investment. Neil, I wonder if you might be able to tell our listeners a bit about the impact of the removal of the material uncertainty clause. I gather that's quite significant in the space. Yeah, certainly. Just to be clear, I mean, the material uncertainty clause, it's a clause which has had to, at the direction of the RICS, be placed on every valuation that went out, whether it be to a bank or to a fund or to property companies' accounts. And the clause basically just says, look, there is less certainty that can be attached to this valuation than normal. So it stopped lending. It has a big impact on the fund world as well. The clause has slowly been lifted sector by sector. And for the PBSA sector, it was lifted only on Friday the 10th of July, so a few days ago. It's great news. It's great news because it means that banks can now proceed with lending to PBSA investors and developers. And it just really does start to open up the market more now that it's been removed for our sector. That coupled with, I suppose, the fact that when we were all locked down, surveyors and building surveyors and valuation surveyors weren't able to actually go out and inspect properties. So now that the systems are all back in place, the material uncertainty clause has been removed. We think that's a real positive for everyone involved. Thanks, Neil. Uh, Marina, could you tell us a bit about what's sort of happening deal-wise? I mean, Neil's obviously outlined some quite reassuring news to the market, but given the uncertainty and Sarah's pointed out already, it's not that clear how many students will be returning to university yet. I mean, what's the attitude for investment currently for PBSA? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's obviously been a bit of a sense of disparity in the market because of all of that uncertainty. So we're seeing opportunistic purchases and sellers just not wanting to give discounts. They're very much holding out. To date, they haven't seen a significant change in overall values, just a drop in income for the final term of the academic year. And at present, the distress just isn't there in the market. It does not exist in the student sector at the moment. So naturally, things have been on hold. But obviously, the material uncertainty clause being lifted, we are going to see more deals happening. But even before that, there was green shoots of recovery. Just recently, the student capital markets team here at Knight Frank, we transacted on a circa £90 million deal across two regional assets, two Far Eastern money at pre-COVID pricing before the material uncertainty clause was lifted. So there was already those green shoots, but 
we're now also still aware of a huge wall of capital with dry powder and some also looking to leverage now that the banks are back, who've been holding back for quite some time and wanting to enter this space and waiting for this moment of the gates to be lifted. So we're expecting to see quite a big increase in transactional activity across the sector going forwards and obviously waiting for results days are going to be important and September is going to be important. But it feels like the floodgates have been lifted now. So a really positive start to the sector going forwards. And what about looking sort of longer term? I mean, do you think that the health of the sector sort of remains kind of in check, thinking ahead? I mean, what would be your advice, I suppose, for investors in this sector? I think UK higher education is really well placed at the moment. I think if you look globally, there are all sorts of other things going on in different countries, the Chinese-US trade war, um, different policies coming out from the US with regards to visas. And, you know, all of that stuff is is making the US look less appealing to international students. And that's to the benefit of UK universities. If we think about what the government is saying about international students, it looks really positive. You know, we've got an international education strategy with a hard target in it for the first time. And I think that should underpin demand from international students. If that's coupled with a kind of opening up or an improvement in the offering to them with regards to post-study visas, then I think we could see next year's cycle being, you know, even more important and, you know, a real bumper cycle for the sector. And I think that, you know, longer term, sure, there are challenges from higher education developing in some of the host countries like China, you know, those universities are creating a real critical mass of both quality and quantity of students and courses. And of course, that will be a challenge to UK higher education. But right now, I think UK higher education still looks really good. So Matt, you mentioned the UK has a target in relation to students. Can you just explain a bit about what they're currently looking at? Yeah, so the aim of the international education strategy released by the government in March 2019 looks to increase international student numbers in the UK by more than about 30% to 600,000 by 2030. It's the first time that I think that we've had a hard target, whereas lots of other European countries have had hard targets for a long time. So it is important. And I think, you know, will be to the benefit for higher education in the UK. The UK boasts 11 of the world's top 100 universities, and these universities will continue to act as a draw to what is essentially an increasingly mobile global student population. Do you think the target will remain relevant, though? And do you think, given the current travel restrictions, that that might need to be looked at again? I think the target remains kind of laudable aim. And I think the point I'm trying to make, I guess, is that, you know, international students have been recognised by government as being important. We've seen outputs from Universities UK right at the start of this outline the importance of international students for university incomes. They're a key part of the sector and a key part of the purpose-built student accommodation sector too. They are really important and overall I think that the UK will remain a really attractive proposition for international students. I see the pandemic and the travel restrictions relating to that definitely as a barrier to travel, but my hope is that's going to be something that's fairly short term. And we may be in a situation where this cycle, there's a disruption to the trend that we've seen of increasing international student numbers. We need to wait to see what happens over the next few months. And then assuming we can be in a position in future cycles where those things are more controlled, 
this confidence back in that international student body, then I think we should see UK higher education start to flourish again. Excellent. Marilena and Neil, any further words from you just on the future of the sector and how you think it will be progressing in the next few years, really? I think the sector will show its counter-cyclical nature. And just as it did in the JFC, it responded strongly. I think we'll come out the gates again as soon as we can. This is a long-term commitment for students and it's their future. And they want to make sure they make the right decisions, of course. But I think we will see an increase in before going to university going forwards. If you go back to January and February this year, everything was really positive. Applications to UK universities were all up international students and European students all wanting to come and study here in the UK. At the same time, all the operators were referring to bookings being well ahead at that point of where they were the year previously. And again, at the same time, you had the, you know, the IQ portfolio, the largest private property transaction of all time, with Blackstone coming in and buying that at $4.7 billion. That showed a huge support of the sector from the investment market with that amount of money, new money, entering the sector at that point. Rolling forward, I think if you look at 2021, 2022, the expectations are, as Marilina has said, the counter-cyclical nature of the sector, the increase in student numbers during any recessionary period will help drive demand for PBSA with increased student numbers next year. We're also seeing the reversal of the government's post-study work visa, which was sort of, let's say, was turned off, it's now being turned back on, and, and so in, encouraging international students to come and study in the UK and stay longer. We've already touched on the increase in the number of 18-year-olds in the population, and all these things will play into the sector's favour, let's say, and see increased demand going forward once the health situation is in some way resolved. So I think the market is still thinking the sector's got massive longevity and a really positive outlook going forward. If you enjoyed this episode of Intelligence Talks, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also make sure to share this episode on social media and check out the show notes for more information. Music